19. First Kings 19. We're going to look at what's probably a familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Kings 19. Just four verses, the first four verses there. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be in the church house again today. Thank you that the snow wasn't more serious, and thank you for the parking lot being cleared. And now we pray for your blessings on our time together. Lord, you know our needs. You know the need of every heart and every person. We are thankful the bus could go today, and we pray for your blessing on the young folks. Bless each teacher that will stand before students, and including this preacher. And Lord, might we be used of you to your praise and glory. We ask you now to bless each teacher, each worker, each helper, meet each need, and I pray that you bless each student, that hearts would be open and receptive to the truths of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been discouraged? If you've ever been discouraged in your life, hold your hand up. Well, of course, we all have, sometime or another. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today, defeating discouragement. Now, there's an old story about the devil who decided to sell off his tools. As people milled around looking over the goods he sold, they noticed the item with the highest price tag was the least impressive-looking tool that was there. And that, that tool that had the highest price tag was an old, battered wedge. And attached to that wedge was the, the name of that, that wedge, discouragement. So one of his favorite tools was discouragement. Now this wedge showed a lot of signs of wear and heavy use. And so one customer went and asked, asked the devil, why in the world does such an unattractive item cost so much? And the devil replied, if I can drive the wedge of discouragement between the believer and his Lord, I win the victory every time. Discouragement, it comes from time to time, from different circumstances. We all have to deal with it, but we cannot let discouragement defeat us. Now, <clears throat> we read about Elijah here, 
And Elijah played a key role in one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible. And that's his battle, if you will, his confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And when all was said and done, Elijah had a great victory. And 850 prophets of Baal were killed. Hmm. Well, Elijah's outlook transformed or, or was one of victory. He called down fire from heaven. Boy, that must have been some kind of, he must have been on a spiritual high. Have you ever had your prayers answered? Doesn't it give you, for lack of better terminology, a spiritual high? Well, I'm sure Elijah was after that. But as we read in chapter 19, the first four verses, Elijah's outlook went from one of great victory and encouragement to complete discouragement. And the devil here has managed to drive his wedge of discouragement between Elijah and the Lord. Now, after that great victory on Mount Carmel, the news spread real fast. I'm sure it did. And he got back to Queen Jezebel, all that had happened. And of course, she was furious that her prophets, the prophets of Baal were her prophets, had all been killed. And so she puts a hit out on Elijah. She threatens to kill him. When Elijah received the word of Jezebel's plan, he flees to the wilderness and he goes alone and he becomes very discouraged. And so here's a man who just had a great spiritual experience, a great tremendous blessing, answered prayer from God. He's on the mountaintop, but in just a very short time, he goes from that mountaintop to the deepest valley where we find him requesting to die. Maybe you're in the midst of the time of discouragement. Discouragement comes from many areas, and all of us in different times, but it doesn't matter. Sources of discouragement are not hard to find. Discouragement. You know, you just look at the word and what it means is to take away courage. And that's what happens when we get discouraged. To be discouraged means we face life with fear instead of faith, with worry instead of wonder, and with cowardice instead of courage. We're going to look at Elijah's story here, and we're going to see how discouragement can appear out of nowhere and overwhelm us. But with the Lord's help, we can overcome discouragement. So the first thing we want to look at is the recipe for discouragement. Now, the devil is a wise old fox. I think that's how the song goes for the kids. The devil is a wise old fox, and he is. Now, he's not omnipotent and he's not omniscient, but he is very, very wise. And uh, he often wields the weapon of discouragement when we're most susceptible to it. When we understand the ingredients that generally go into discouragement, it gives us a better understanding of how we can fight it and defeat it. 
We're going to look at some factors that were present in Elijah's time of discouragement to have a greater understanding of our own susceptibility and to identify the times when we're most prone to discouragement. When does discouragement come? Well, we've seen it comes after a great victory, and that was Elijah's story. Three and a half years before that battle on Mount Carmel, Elijah was told by God to go to King Ahab and tell him it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. And it was because of the king's idolatry. We find that back in chapter 17. Go back to chapter 17 for a minute. Here's where we meet Elijah. Verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So he goes and he confronts Ahab just as the king told him. And uh, he tells Ahab, God's going to send a drought. And so Ahab blamed Elijah. And Ahab first threatened to kill Elijah. So he has this hit out on him. Oh, what's he do? In 17, uh, verses 2 through 6, he flees. It says, And Elijah went to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in 18, 17. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. So we find him going and hiding himself, just like God told him to. And he stayed there for a while, and he was fed by the ravens. Hmm. You know, ravens, we would call them crows. And uh, that's not exactly the creature I would want to bring me my supper, if you know what crows eat. But anyway, that's how God was taking care of Ahab, or uh, Elijah. He's fleeing from Ahab. So he's there, and God feeds him until the book dries up. And then God tells him, uh, to go and, and visit the, the, uh, the widow woman, and he provides oil and meal for the widow woman and her son and Elijah in another miraculous way. So here's Elijah, and he's seeing miracle after miracle from God. How does a man who's seeing all that get discouraged? Well, in chapter 18 and verse 1, now remember, it's not rained for three and a half years, 18 verse 1, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So now Elijah has to go back again. Now, but remember now, he's facing a little different circumstance. Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. He saw him as the source of all the, all the trouble, the drought. And, uh, but now God says, I want you to go back and confront him again. Only this time, tell him it's going to rain. And so Elijah is obedient. And uh, at his command, Elijah's years of struggle in the wilderness were about to culminate in a major victory over the prophets of Baal. And that's what happened. Most good things don't come easily or quickly. Any long-term efforts, working to strengthen a marriage, building a Sunday school class, rearing our children, resolving a relationship problem, take time. The problem is 
during the process, our patience wears thin. And uh, we get in a hurry. You know, if you ever thought about this, God's not in a hurry. God never gets in a hurry. And God's never early and God's never late. He's always right on time. But how about us? Oh, my. We get in a hurry. We start running ahead of him. Pretty soon we're in trouble. Well, during the process of things happening, our patience can get thin. And I, I, I especially identify with that because patience is a real thing I have to work on all the time. Now, here's Elijah, and uh, now he's having to flee again. And the devil sees a perfect opening to whisper in his ear, why not just give up? And Elijah's example warns us that we are even more vulnerable to discouragement when we're in a long struggle. Hmm. Let me say that a different way. You know, one of, one of the, the devil's tools is discouragement. And one of the ways he likes to discourage us is to get us in long struggles and to wear us down. Hmm? And that's when we're most vulnerable. And we need to be careful about that. After meeting with Ahab, Elijah and the prophets of Baal went up to Mount Carmel. And as the Israelites looked on, uh, of course, we know the contest that they tried to call down fire from heaven on their altar to take their sacrifice and nothing happened. They cried all morning. They cried at noon. They cried in the afternoon. They cut themselves. They did everything they knew to do to get their God to call down fire from heaven, and it didn't happen. And then I like the story how <laughs> when all that's uh, done and finished in the evening time, Elijah stands up, you know, now it's my turn. And the Bible tells us how he offered just a very short prayer. And even after they had poured water three different times on the altar and on the sacrifice, and, and, and they said there were, they had put a trench around it and water in the trench uh, just to prove that, that, that God was able uh, to do the miraculous. And when he prayed, boom, fire came down. That altar was consumed. Everything on it was consumed, and the water was all licked up. And uh, God did all that in response to one simple prayer from Elijah. And, you know, all Israel was watching this contest. And when it was all over in chapter 18 and verse 39, look there if you will. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And I like the way... Uh, God put it in his word there, the God. That means the one and only. Hmm? You know, if you ever deal with a Jehovah's Witness and you take them over to John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. They try to tell you, no, 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 that, that's mistranslation. should say the word was a God. No. No. He's the God. And... Uh, Thank the Lord for that. And so the people recognized. They said, this is the God. This is the one and only. Boy, what a victory. Elijah's faithfulness as a prophet of the true God was vindicated. 
and the false prophets were destroyed. It, it made clear to the people of Israel who the real God is and who the real prophet is. And of course, Elijah is that man. Everything Elijah had been focused on had succeeded dramatically. Why in the world would he become discouraged? Why didn't that victory take him through the dark days ahead as a fugitive? It's hard to stay on an emotional high for long. If we've seen a great success, there's usually a natural letdown. Can I throw this in there? One of the most dangerous places for us is right after a great spiritual victory. Say it again. One of the most dangerous places for us is immediately following a great spiritual victory. We get on a spiritual high, but we're very vulnerable, and uh, we need to recognize that. Hmm. So we see after a great victory is a time of, of potential discouragement. It's kind of like, you know, you go from here, you go way down. Hmm. Well, then the second thing, during times of physical exhaustion, Sometimes we don't recognize how our physical affects our spiritual. Hmm? We view them as two separate things, you know, they have nothing to do with each other, really. But listen, your physical will affect your spiritual. And in times of physical exhaustion, we are, we are very, very vulnerable. Here's Elijah, and he had... He had depleted all his energy on this great victory for God. And now he goes to the wilderness and he lays down. What does he do? He lays down and sleeps. Why? He'd exhausted himself. So we see another enemy in his life, and that's discouragement. Famed football coach Vince Lombardi, many of us are aware of who he was, and one of the greatest football coaches ever, but he said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Exhaust, exhaustion magnifies problems to the point that it's hard for us to carry out what we're supposed to do. I like that quote, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And of course, if you know anything about football, one of the biggest enemies and in in the, in, in the, uh, some of the greatest opposition in a football game comes from Exhaustion. And the teams that are going to be successful are the ones who, who can overcome the, the exhaustion of the game. And that's why a lot of times teams uh, substitute people in and out to keep the people fresh because they know. I've seen football games. I've watched football games where for three quarters it was a real battle. And I mean, nobody's, nobody's getting the upper hand. They're running neck and neck and and boy, things are close. But then in that fourth quarter, all of a sudden, you see one team kind of falling by the wayside. What happened? Exhaustion. And so it can be that way in our Christian life. There was a Scottish preacher named Robert Murray McShane, very well-known uh, preacher. But he overworked himself into an early grave. At the age of 29, 
He's on his deathbed. And here's what he said. God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Now I've killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. Made me think about David Brainerd. Another one who burned out, I think he was 29 when he died. And uh, I've mentioned to you, I found the place where David Brainerd ministered, right up here in, in, uh, in um, Mount Bethel, in that area, and uh, Martin's Creek. But he was a young man who burned himself out, working for the Lord to the place where he died, very young age. We can put so much emphasis on serving that we end up neglecting our bodies. Rest, exercise, and a healthy diet are tools God has given us to keep on going. And as believers, we ought not to abuse our bodies. We ought to try to take care of them as best we can. Physical exhaustion leaves us wide open to discouragement. That's why even Jesus, when he had his disciples, he encouraged them to take time for rest. In Mark 6, verse 31, Come you yourselves apart unto a desert place and rest a while. He knew the importance of physical rest. And it's often been said, you got to come apart before you come apart. Amen? Now, right after Jesus said that to his disciples, multitudes of people came to hear Jesus. And so it seems like the disciples didn't, at that point, really get to rest. But the statement gives an important principle. We need physical rest to continue if we're going to be faithful to the Lord. Fatigue, a great tool of the enemy. So here's Elijah. He's exhausted, and he's vulnerable to Jezebel's attacks. But you know what's interesting? Jezebel threatened Elijah. We all know that, right? And she's saying to him, I'm going to have you killed. But you know, we never find her taking any action. Hmm. 1 Kings 19, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, she's talking about the prophets of Baal, by tomorrow about this time. She made a very strong threat against Elijah. I don't think it was an empty threat. Some people do. But we notice she never did anything to carry it out. Now, had she done that, think about this. Was it really, was Elijah really in danger? She said she was going to kill him. All right, she never did anything to try to facilitate that. And the second thing we need to remember is she would have been very unpopular if she tried to kill Elijah. We just had a great contest, and the people have just seen that this is God's prophet and that his God is the true God. And for her to come against him wouldn't have been good for her. Well, finally, if she really wanted to kill him, why did she warn him? 
Why give him opportunity to flee and to hide? Well, I believe one of her greatest purposes was to intimidate Elijah. And you know, we get intimidated so easily. Here he is, he has a a threat put against his life. She doesn't do do anything to try to follow through on the threat. And uh, she's in a bad position to do that. And yet, and she warns him. But he fell for, for the trick, if you will, and got intimidated by her. So, we need to be careful about discouragement after a great victory, during the times of physical exhaustion, and then during times of loneliness. Well, her threat worked. Elijah flees now, and he goes all by himself. He leaves everyone that could encourage him at his most discouraging point. And you know what's interesting? When we think about the devil and how he likes to work, we know that, that he likes to get people separated and by themselves. I was thinking about this, and, and uh, it was brought out in, in what we're studying here. And they said this, in nature, lone animals are the most vulnerable. When the stragglers, the weak, or the young are left behind, they're easy prey for a hungry predator. I remember as a kid, Lowell Thomas was the man's name, used to put specials on the television of wildlife. He would go to Africa and, and uh, India and some of these places and, and film the wildlife and, and their activities and things of that nature. And, uh, and uh, I remember so many times he would be in Africa and he would show the lions and the lionesses laying in wait, just crouching and waiting. What are they waiting for? For one of, the, one of the animals that they're watching to stray off and get by itself, and that's the one they're going to attack. And you know, it's true in our Christian lives. As Christians, we have a much more dangerous enemy than Elijah had. And Peter even, even brings that that. To us in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Somebody said this, and I think it, it hits the nail on the head. When we seclude ourselves from others who can encourage or strengthen us, we are prone to discouragement. And that's one reason we need to stay faithful to the church. Hmm? I, I get real concerned about people who lay out a church because I know the enemy loves that to get the strays away so he can devour them. We're warned in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Church attendance is important for a Christian. We need it. Hmm. You know, we read that verse in Hebrews, but think about when that was written and what was going on. 
when that was written, the church was under great persecution. It would have been very tempting for those who, who were Christians now to stay away from the church because of the threat that was put against the church. But God knew that his people needed each other most when times were tough. While the church should point the unsaved to the cross, God also designed it to be a place where believers could encourage and love one another through the good times and through the bad. Listen, when you're going through troubled times, it's, it's a great thing when you can get around some people who try to encourage you and help you and, and kind of sustain you. Well, recipe for discouragement. The easiest, the most prone times after a great victory. You need to be very careful. During times of physical exhaustion. And then during times of loneliness. And then from an inaccurate view of circumstances. We think about Elijah. And he goes out there and, and he feels like he's the only one. And so we see he's really kind of blowing things out of proportion. And of course, we do that. Here's Elijah now. He's alone and he's afraid. And he magnified his situation to the point that he just thought it'd be better for him to die. Rather than let Jezebel kill him, it'd be better if God just took him. And he even says that. It is enough now, Lord, in verse 4, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Hmm. Listen, his, his despondency, if you will, his discouragement was very deep. He didn't even want to, to go on living. His things seemed so bad to him. But you know, God had to come along and tell him, your viewpoint isn't the right viewpoint, Elijah. You know, sometimes it's, for, it's, it's the same with us. When we're discouraged, we, we look at things in a negative frame. It's like we put on negative glasses. Everything we see now adds to the problem. And that's the way Elijah was looking at things. When we're discouraged, we tend to focus on what's wrong, not on what's right. But when we do, we quickly form an unrealistic view of our situation. Uh, we've all heard the phrase, you make mountains out of molehills. Well, that's what happens when we're discouraged. A small thing becomes a major thing. Hmm. The more we allow ourselves to dwell on what's wrong instead of what's right, the more our problems seem to grow. Part of the cure for defeating discouragement is developing a pattern of biblical thinking. When the devil finds a Christian who isn't med meditating on what's true, he knows he's found an easy mark for discouragement. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things have a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We're to focus on the positive and what's good, not on the negative and what's bad. And that verse encapsulates that idea. 
here's Elijah, and he experienced a tremendous victory, and he's called down fire from heaven. He's prayed and stopped the rain, yet he found it hard to surrender his discouragement. And so God deals with him. And he even came to, here he is complaining to the Lord about his situation. Hmm. In our lives, it's easy to only focus on the negative instead of stepping back and truly analyzing the situation. We let ourselves grow discouragement. Discouraged. We have to learn to meditate on what is true, good, uh, and not on what we feel or think. So we see the recipe, the recipe for discouragement. And then the treatment for discouragement. All right, what do we do? I'm discouraged. What do I do? Well, when we think about Elijah's bout with discouragement, we think this, Jezebel was the problem. If she hadn't threatened Elijah, he wouldn't have been discouraged. He would have continued being encouraged after seeing the great work and the miracles that God had done. So Jezebel's the problem. But in reality, Jezebel is not the problem. Jezebel really wasn't why Elijah struggled with discouragement. She created an atmosphere that made it easy for him to lose heart, but Elijah allowed Jezebel's intimidation to discourage him. Somebody said this. I like this. In our lives also, the greatest problem isn't the facts, but our perception of them. Hmm. Again, what kind of glasses are we looking through? How are we viewing things? Hmm. Just as Elijah could have allowed Jezebel's threat to strengthen his faith in God rather than bring discouragement, you and I can allow difficult times to draw us closer to the Lord instead of driving us away. Now, we're talking about overcoming discouragement. And listen, it's easier said than done. I ask how many of you have been discouraged. I'll ask again, how many of you have ever been discouraged? Then you know what I'm talking about. It's not an easy thing to recover from discouragement, but it's a necessary thing. Now, God didn't right away remove Jezebel from the scene. And so this hits still out on, on Elijah. And he's, he's allowed the intimidation to discourage him. But God isn't going to remove the source of his discouragement. He just gives him the ability to overcome it. So how do we overcome? Remain faithful. Hmm. So Elijah goes and eats a second time, and then he makes a 40-day trip over to Mount Horeb. And it's interesting. Look at 19, verse 9. In verse 8, it says, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights under Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? You know, I never picked up on it, but when you stop to think about that, what's he saying to Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? I think God is, is kind of rebuking him for being where he is. And in verse 9, it says, And he came thither into a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? The Lord was reminding Elijah that he wasn't in the place he was supposed to be. He had left the place of ministry that God had called him to. Hmm. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, that, that, that question can be posed to us. What are we doing for the cause of Christ? Every one of us has a special purpose designed by God. In fact, God ordained good works for us to do before the world was ever created. How are we doing with that? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, we all have a purpose. And the one purpose we all share is we're to live in a way to glorify God. But all too often, we're like Elijah, and we get away from God's plan for our lives. And when we do that, then we find ourselves not fulfilling the purpose we were created for. And when that happens, we're going to be more susceptible to discouragement. God had a place he wanted Elijah to be. His specific purpose was to be the prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. That's what God had called Elijah to do. Yet he had run away. First he runs to the southern kingdom, Judah, and then he goes out into the desert. And now he's at Mount Horeb. Hmm. Sometimes we can veer from God's calling on our life. Somebody said this, I found that discouraged people are almost always out of position. Hmm. They're living in a place of pity instead of praise. Oh, my. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have had our little pity party? Hmm? Woe is me. Wow. People are almost out of position. They're living in a place of pity instead of praise, a place of worry instead of works, and a place of fear instead of faith. Hmm. Now, not saying that God doesn't ever direct people to move, and no, 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 no. And God doesn't always take us to easy and comfortable places. Matter of fact, oftentimes the place the Lord takes us is the exact opposite of where we would have picked to go. But when we determine to remain faithful to God's calling, we will enjoy the victories God has waiting for us. So being in the right place is so important. And being faithful to do what God has called us to do. Then, number two, recognize God's presence. Well, now Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. Let's read a little further here. In verse 10 of chapter 19. 
Now God says, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am, am, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Oh, pity party, pity party. So God says, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Well, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, and God gives him a very amazing manifestation, if you will. First, there's a huge whirlwind, and the Bible describes it as just literally tearing the, the rocks uh, off the mountain. But God's, God wasn't in that. Then the earthquake wasn't there. Finally, a roaring fire raged in front of Elijah. But the Lord wasn't there. God wasn't in the whirlwind. God wasn't in the earthquake. And God wasn't in the fire. But God revealed himself to Elijah in a very special way. He reveals his presence with Elijah in a still, small voice. And see, Elijah had, had, to, had to be taught, if you will, that even though there was no visible manifestation of God's presence, he was still there. And you know, it reminds me of the story of the little girl who was put to bed, and, and uh, Mama went back downstairs, turned the lights out, went downstairs. Little girl started screaming and crying, and Mama went up. She said, why are you screaming and crying? Because I don't like being alone. She said, well, you're not alone. Jesus is with you, remember? And she said, yeah, but I like somebody with, with, with hands and feet. Hmm? She wanted somebody physical manifestation. And we, we get that way. We want to see something. We want to feel something. But listen, sometimes we just need to find strength in the fact that still, small voice that speaks to us from our heart. Hmm. God was still there. And sometimes we wonder and we think and we grow concerned. God, are you still there? Well, he promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And so in our, in our times of doubt, we have to come back to the truth of God's word and what God tells us. So we need to recognize God's presence even when it seems like he's not there. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, we find this. 
Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so we're not to lose faith. And we're to continue on even when we can't see what God's doing. Hmm. You ever been there? You got a situation and you're praying about it and praying about it and praying about it and you don't see anything happening. And you wonder, is God hearing? Well, God's still there. And uh, he hasn't left us and he's still aware and he's still working. Somebody likened it to when you plant a garden. And you know, you, you plant stuff and, and uh, pretty soon you're going out there looking to see if anything's bloomed or blossomed. Or, or... But listen, you don't normally plant the seed today and go out tomorrow and there's a plant. It takes time. And that's where it is many times in what God's doing in our life. But as I said earlier, we get in a hurry. We're into this fast-paced society. And uh, by the way, living in the northeast of America doesn't help that. Amen? How many of you have lived in the south somewhere? Different culture. Really much. Most places, it's much slower. And, uh, but this northeast corridor of America is fast-paced I remember moving from Fairless Hills to Jacksonville, Florida, never realizing the culture shock we were about to experience. Different world. But we get in a hurry, and, and we want God to do everything now and do things when we think he should do it. I wonder what Elijah thought. I wonder if he, if he had in his heart that God ought to kill Jezebel, and he wasn't seeing it. Now, eventually God did. The dogs ate her. Amen? But listen, that was in God's time, not Elijah's time. And so we have to recognize God's presence even when we don't think he's there. Even if we can't see him work in a visible way, we can't give up. Often he's working a miracle for us behind the scenes. Just as Elijah was reminded by God's still small voice, God will never leave nor forsake us, no matter of our circumstances. And then, by the way, God doesn't always work in dramatic ways. Sometimes it's, it's just a, a gradual process. Sometimes it's, it's, it's God working step by step, instead of boom. And again, that's where we get impatient and we want things to happen faster. But somebody likened it to climbing a mountain with a gradual slope. Step by step, you're making progress, but it may not feel like it. Until you, you finally accomplish, you get to the top and you look back and you see how every step was another step in the right direction. So we need to remain faithful. We need to recognize God's presence. And then the victory. How do we get the victory? Just like Elijah, we're going to face hard times when we will want to give up and stop pressing forward for the Lord. That's what discouragement does to us. 
And it's right then when Satan likes to whisper to us that it's no use going on. And our discouragement has disappointed not only us, but disappointed the Lord as well. But we know that Satan is a liar. And even when we face discouragement or find ourselves ensnared in discouragement, God still wants to give us the victory. So how do we get the victory? Number one, be honest. Twice God asked Elijah, what doest thou here? And when the first time God asked him, Elijah begins listing the problems of Israel. My countrymen have forsaken the Lord. And Elijah felt like he's the only righteous man that's left. So God takes him up there to Mount Horm, where he would send the whirlwind, the earthquake, and the fire, and finally speak to him in this still small voice. And after a demonstration of his power there, God asks him the second time, What doest thou here? Hmm. And you know, the response of Elijah is interesting. Verse 10, he comes back with the same thing. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and seek my life to take it away. Hmm. I'm the only one left. And it's interesting, here he is, and he's so discouraged that now he tells, and and think about this, I'm the only one left. Only one what? Somebody help me. Only one what? What is Elijah? He's a prophet. And he's saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet left. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're the only Christian? You ever get discouraged about that? You know, I remember working in that can company as a Christian. And uh, I wasn't the only one. There were a couple. They were on different shifts most of the time than I was. But boy, a lot of times I felt like I'm the only one. I'm the only one who wants to live for God and do right and and believe the Bible, and, and that's a very lonely feeling. And that's how Elijah felt. But he's the only prophet. Now think about this. But he's, he is the prophet. So what does he tell God? You might as well kill me. Well, then who's going to be the prophet? There'll be none, and Israel will go apostate. But see, here's the fact of it, and when you're in discouragement, this is true. Elijah's not thinking in the right mind. He's he's looking at everything through those glasses of discouragement. Sometimes we convince ourselves we're the only ones serving God. Our friends are against us. Our family belittles us. Our coworkers laugh at us. As a result, we feel like everything depends on us. But when you serve the Lord, trials will come. It's going to happen. People will leave us. Boy, as a pastor, that's a hard thing right there. 
People leave you. You pour your life into people and they leave you. But it's going to happen. People will betray us. People will disappoint us. And the devil tries to convince us we're the only ones with a genuine heart to serve God. It's a lie that's very easy to believe, but it's not true. Even in the world's darkest times, spiritually, God has always had faithful men serving him. Elijah incorrectly evaluates the situation, and God has to kind of remind him, you're not quite as big a percentage of the faithful few as you think you are. Instead of being the only one who hasn't bowed your knee to Baal, you're one of thousands. God had 7,000 prophets of Baal that hadn't bent their knee and, uh, and were, were in the same uh, relationship, if you will, as Elijah was with the Lord. And you know, when we're discouraged, we need to understand that and we need to recognize that there are others who are going through problems and you know, one of the ways to help you in discouragement is to, is to focus for a little while on people who have it a lot worse than you do. Hmm? When you get discouraged about uh, maybe your, your friends have turned their back on you or, or whatever it might be that's discouraging you, think about people who have real life and death problems. Hmm? People who are struggling to keep their family together. People whose marriages are on the verge of breaking up. Focus on some of those things and think how much worse it could be. I was laying out the song service for this morning and I, I came across Count Your Blessings. I didn't pick that song, but I just thought, that's a, that's a good thought. We need to count our blessings. And uh, recognize there's a lot of people who have it worse than we do. Hmm. If we step back and honestly look at our situation, we'll realize we're never alone because God is with us. But in addition to God's presence, we have fellow faithful Christians serving and honoring the Lord alongside us. You know, sometimes we look at our attendance, and I'm very concerned about our attendance at church. But then I, I hear from other preachers who are fighting the same battle. We're in a different day and age in our country. A different day and age, spiritually speaking. And we've raised a couple of generations with, without God. It's what we've done. We took God out of the public school. We took God out of the public place. And so now we're dealing with people who have been raised without God. It's a whole different ballgame. Many of us remember back in the, in the 70s and 80s, things were a lot different. But we've come to this place, and it can be discouraging. But we have to remember, God's still with us. And he still wants us to reach out to people and try to win people and, and uh, do the work of the ministry the results are not up to us. Say it again. The results are not up to us. 
Ours is not the reason why. Ours is just to do or die. We're to be obedient and trust God for the outcome. And that's what we need to do. We need to be honest and we need to press onward. Don't quit. Don't quit. You find so many Christians who get discouraged and the first thing they do is quit on God. They get out of church, they get to lay their Bible down, they cease going into their prayer closet. They're discouraged, and what's, what's their first action? Put on God. No, 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 a thousand times no. Stay true to him. And then choose encouragement. We read about David and how he, he was discouraged. Boy, they, they wanted to kill him. <clears throat> you might remember the story. David had gone over to the Philistines, and, uh, and uh, he had 600 men with him. And the Philistines were going to go out to battle, and they invited David to come along, so he was going to come along. Well, then uh, they got word that, no, 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 we don't want David. We're afraid of him, that he might turn on us. So they sent David back to his, his hometown. Of, he was working out of Ziklag. That was the name of the place, Ziklag. And so they had left their wives and their children at Ziklag and had gone off to fight. Well, now they're being sent back. So as they're, as they're coming back, they realize that while they were gone, an enemy came in and overtook Ziklag and hauled off their wives and their children. And boy, now the 600 men with David, now they're upset with him, and they're saying, you took us away from our wives and children, now somebody's coming. And it got to the place they wanted to kill David. Well, David was a little discouraged. Here he is, his men are turning on him. He didn't, he didn't do that. It, it wasn't his fault. But the Bible says, here's what David did. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And he chose to be encouraged rather than discouraged. And long story short, he went after those people that took the wives and the children and overtook them, and God gave them the victory, and they got it all back. But just think, what would have happened if David would have just remained discouraged and not gone after them? No, choose to be encouraged in the Lord. Father, thank you for the fact that we can overcome discouragement. We know it's a real enemy. And we know every one of us at time, one time or another has to fight it. But I pray that you would bless us and help us to understand that you want to give us the victory. Help us not to allow discouragement to hinder us, to hold us back, to keep us captive. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Service will start in just a few minutes.